0: Hello, and welcome to Will We Make make It it Out Alive? alive? I'm Amy, the poop detective.
1: And I'm Jen, the magical mapper. This is Season 3, Episode 6, Letting Knowledge and Nature In, Science and Sustainability Education
0: in Prison. In this episode, we talk to Kelly Bush for the last time. She's joined us for five of our seven episodes this season and has been instrumental in helping us produce this season as well. She's basically an all-around rock star. I know we say that about a lot of people that we interview, but it's also true. And we just want to thank her for all of her assistance on this season. In this episode, we'll also introduce Emily Passarelli, the Education and Outreach Manager for SVP. We'll be chatting with them about SPP's science and education programs in Washington prisons and how they've managed to bring in education despite many challenges. We'll be asking them to share more about the gardening and beekeeping programs.
1: If you've been following us this season, you already know that this season is all about the Sustainability in Prisons Project, or SPP. How they bring science and nature education and training into the prisons to reduce recidivism and protect and enhance our environment. This season is seven episodes long. Oh,
0: it's almost over. Only one more left. Whoa. Oh,
1: we have interviewed a variety of people from SVP and organizations and individuals that have participated in the program. Hey, Amy, speaking of bees, what does a bee use to style its hair? Honeydew? Honeydew. No. A honeycomb. Uh, I was kind of in the right vein. Why did the bee go to the doctor?
0: Because it had honey hives.
1: Mm, Yeah, because it had hives. What do you call a bee who makes laws? Unbelievable. No? (laughs)
0: Wow. That's the best you got? That's the best I got.
1: A politician. (laughs) All right, now that we've sweetened the pot, let's jump into our interviews. Kelly Bush is joining us again today to talk about education. So Kelly, what is the educational program and why is education important for prisons?
2: When we think of SPP's education programs, it's a little bit confusing because education is actually a goal for part of everything that we do, but there are a few programs that we've sort of put into this bucket that we call education programs because They may not have other outcomes, if that makes sense. So in other words, these programs are education for education's sake without another side benefit. Our education programs are things like our workshop series, beekeeping certifications, Roots of Success, which is a curriculum that was created out of San Francisco State University that we help administer. We have several peer-led education courses in gardening, and we're developing one now on composting. These are courses that are offered strictly for their education benefits.
1: And why is education important for prisons?
2: Education is one of the most effective ways to reduce recidivism. The data has shown that any kind of education, whether it's vocational or it's academic, any sort of education investment in folks can significantly reduce the likelihood that they're returning to prison. You know, we focus on science and sustainability education. We see what's happening with our world, with our planet. We feel like we need a better educated populace to help tackle these really complex issues. And as we've described before, we need broader inclusion. We need people who think from a different perspective, live from a different perspective, and for it to be broad and inclusive.
0: Are there educational opportunities that SVP would like to offer but can't due to restrictions?
2: I think that there are limitations to the education that can be offered, not just by us, but by any education organization, because prisons weren't designed for those classroom spaces. They were really originally designed for, you know, as one of my prison colleagues will say, you know, contain and control and punish. It wasn't designed with classroom space and, you know, all the resources you need to deliver education. And so many education organizations really struggle to be able to find the space and the resources to offer these types of programs.
0: What are some of the obstacles to bringing educational materials into the prisons?
2: For the most part, we have pretty good success with bringing materials in. As you've heard, we offer a lot of hands-on education, work with plants and native species. Those have some of their own challenges around tools and chemicals and things that you can have in to help support these organisms. But for the most part, we're able to work with those. We are hearing from a lot of education organizations that just offering traditional science labs in a prison setting is really hard. So with some funding we recently received to expand corrections education, we are trying to invest in developing some labs, not only for our own use, but to provide to other education organizations, just freely provide them as examples of here's some labs that can work within prisons, at least within Washington. How about
0: technology?
2: Are you able to bring technology in or can that be a barrier sometimes? I'm really glad you asked that. Yeah, technology is a major barrier. And I think I've gotten so used to it that I just sort of forget it. I'm like, <laughs> we just don't get, really get to use technology. I mean, that said, that's maybe unfair. I think it's important to point out that there have been good advancements in like incarcerated folks now have much better access than they did when I first started to secure laptops that education content can be loaded onto. They have other devices that they can use for messaging, but there's no internet. So that's a major barrier. And there has been talk for quite some time, and I'm confident that they're going to overcome the security issues and be able to offer that. But there are some other states that have been able to offer an internet that is secure and that can be safe in a prison setting. There's some real challenges around having.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it could be, but also our whole world is so connected to the internet. Like I'm just old and I already don't really know what's going on with technology. But if I didn't have any access to it, that would be completely different, obviously.
2: Yeah. And then when you get back out and you have to get a job, like you're lacking a kind of a major skill set. That is so spot on. And it is it is a major issue. I think it's improving. There are like computer courses and things, but I would love to see more. I know we've talked a little bit about you know GIS. I know that's certainly Jen's mm-hmm. main passion. I think it would be such a powerful thing to be able to offer education and training in GIS. I, I'm sure there's a way to do right. it. And it's one of those ideas that will maybe be out there for a little while. And I'm sure at some point we can make it happen. Maybe even Jen wants to help us make it happen. I don't know. Right, but yeah. There's a lot of opportunities around technology that are definitely missing for the incarcerated population. When we develop curricula right now, we don't even count on being able to use PowerPoint because the pandemic really taught us that having written hard copy material that people can read and discuss is one of the most resilient ways of offering education. Mm -hmm. We'll eventually be able to offer more and be able to go in and do more in-person presentations and that sort of thing. I know we will get back to that at some point, but for now... I feel like it's been really important and it's actually having more written materials that aren't reliant on technology has allowed us to increase the access to education because it's really easy for us to broadly distribute print materials as opposed to having to be the person to deliver the curriculum. The pandemic taught us to try to improve that resilience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely sparking a lot of ideas (laughs) in my mind around how can we get GIS? Yes. I like it, Jen.
2: I like it. So you mentioned the workshop series. Can you tell us more about the workshop series? Sadly, the workshop series has been suspended since the start of the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was operating in three facilities once a month, and it has been a very robust program, very well attended. Pretty much every workshop that was posted would fill to capacity. It's a really great model for a few different reasons. One, this is how a lot of partnerships Mm -hmm. start. It's a really low-risk way for people to come in to interact with the incarcerated population to share some of their knowledge. And it's so frequent that when people came in through the workshop series and had this just really amazing experience with a very engaged audience that they wanted to give back and do more. And so many other programs were born out of that workshop series and people being inspired by it. We had different science and sustainability experts coming in The workshops were about 90 minutes and they would range in topics, everything from bear biology to environmental justice, salmon ecology, climate change, energy efficiency, solar energy, Mm -hmm. all kinds of topics. The topics were often driven by the incarcerated population themselves, suggesting what they wanted to learn about and us finding the experts who would come in and deliver that content. Sometimes it's evergreen faculty or staff delivering the workshops, but oftentimes it's state, federal agency, nonprofit organizations, sometimes folks who have never even thought to interact with the incarcerated population. I've never heard of it being anything but just a really fantastic exchange for both the incarcerated Mm -hmm. population and that person coming in. It's a really great model, and we hope to get back to it.
0: We hope you get back to it, too, because
2: we're very interested in that. Yeah, I think the two of you should come in. Yeah. Yeah. So in
1: the future, when this does pick back up, how would potentially some of our listeners be able to participate?
2: They can contact Sustainability in Prisons Project and pitch the idea of what they feel like they could deliver content on. We definitely welcome that. We were always looking for workshop presenters. What I would say is that in the interim, even though it's not the same, it's not the same experience, We've developed a new framework for what we call education modules, and these are typically somewhere between 5 and 20-page presentation of education information, and so that may be another way for people to get involved if they want to create content on a particular topic. We can guide them through. We have the format, and we have all kinds of tips on how to create content using this format and how to make it effective for this population. But if you have expertise in a particular topic, please know that we welcome creation of what we're calling education modules. You can kind of think of it as like a short chapter on a different topic or on various topics.
0: Wheels spin in my head. Yeah, so many ideas. It sounds
2: like SVP has kind of
0: put on some special environmental
2: events. Maybe you could talk a little bit about those and what the benefits of those kind of events is. Those are some of my favorite moments, honestly. We've had events on climate change and on environmental justice and beekeeping. We had a beekeeping summit. In all cases, those were either a full or a like three-quarter of a day gathering, and they occurred at a single-host prison, but they involved incarcerated people, corrections staff, folks from SPP, but also lots of other organizations, depending on what topic we are focused on. They were always filled to capacity, and it wasn't as though the speakers were just these outside experts. The speakers were also the incarcerated folks. They helped MC events. We planned the events together across Incarcerated People Corrections staff and our staff that previously was kind of an unusual model, but it has worked. And it's been a really gratifying thing to sort of watch those power dynamics sort of kind of diminish and that, you know, we're just working together toward a common goal. And, you know, we're all trying to play the role in in making an event successful. They've always been very well attended and just really energizing days. So... Again, it's not safe for us to gather in big crowds right now, but right. I do really miss mm-hmm. those. We have done a few virtual gatherings, but they've been smaller. We had some folks that were able to attend a beekeeping conference through the Washington State Beekeeping Association. They attended virtually, so incarcerated and correction staff attended that conference and could still participate virtually. And I think, you know, we're getting a bit better at thinking of creative ways to make those connections still happen. But it was just always amazing to see community.
1: Are there any new educational programs currently in the works or any programs being expanded?
2: Yeah, so right now we're putting a lot of energy toward developing a peer-led composting course. Really excited about that. I would say we're maybe three quarters of the way through that process. This is a peer-led course, so it's designed for incarcerated folks to be able to facilitate their own classroom. We provide them all the materials to be successful in doing that. Correction staff are still very much involved, and we're creating this curriculum together. So we have incarcerated folks who are authors, we have our own staffer helping author some of the modules, and then we have some really stellar outside experts who are world-renowned experts in composting who are contributing content as well. So it's a really nice collaboration. This is meant to be foundational knowledge on the topic Many of our prisons have composting programs and folks are already getting some of the hands-on experience, but they haven't been receiving necessarily this academic piece that complements that hands-on work. So we're really excited about that.
0: Cool. How about the credits from Evergreen? Is that still something that they have to wait till after they're not incarcerated anymore? What's the status of that program?
2: So what you're referring to is that Under the current situation, we have a certificate that we issue folks that complete at least nine of our programs. They're mostly the ecological conservation and environmental education programs that the Evergreen side of the partnership runs those folks can present their certificate post-release and receive academic credits at Evergreen. That's great. We're really proud of that. And we want those credits to be available during incarceration because we know not everyone can come to Evergreen. And if nothing else, we also want to acknowledge their work and knowing that it is already credit worthy. So we've been working with the college for quite some time to shift that. We are in the final phases. We've developed a new model that will grant that credit during incarceration these will be transferable credits. And we actually, right now, are working on bringing credit to 12 of the programs. So we'll actually increase the number of programs. I'm also really proud of this new model that we've built with the staff because the SPP folks at Evergreen are making the education offerings more robust than they were previously. There's more consistency across programs for the participants. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that bit because it will empower people to have some credits to either start their college career or continue their college career. We encounter a lot of folks that have started some college, but for whatever reason, their pathway got interrupted. And so this is a way of encouraging them back on that path if it's the right fit. The model that we developed is actually through a prior learning experience, and it's a way that the student doesn't need to pay the full tuition. The model we use to offer education is much lower cost than a traditional classroom model where a faculty member is going in and, and teaching a course. We love that model. It's super important that that be offered too. But this is different than that. As I mentioned before, many of these are sort of like internship programs. And so acknowledging them with credit, it's its a much lower cost way. And the Sustainability in Prisons Project staff have actually brought in the funding to keep these programs going and to sustain them. So they're actually very low cost. We're working to pay just an administrative fee for this model. So it's a way to increase education capacity At a lower cost, but while offering them the college credit for the work that is very much credit deserving.
0: Yes. That's very awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us for yet another episode. We'll miss you because this will be the last one. (laughs) All of the work that you're doing is truly inspirational. And this whole season has just been a real feel good experience, I feel like, for Jen and I too, to be able to interview all the awesome people that are doing really Mm -hmm. great work. And it's just really exciting.
1: Next up, we're excited to welcome Emily Passarelli. She is the Education and Outreach Manager at the Sustainability in Prisons Project. Welcome Emily, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: How are you involved in SPP and the education program?
3: I am the Education and Outreach Manager. So what I do is I supervise two coordinators who coordinate a variety of different education programs. There's a coordinator who coordinates Roots of Success, beekeeping, and our gardening curriculum. And there's also another coordinator who is helping us develop a composting curriculum. So I supervise those two. I also help in creating this content, finding new partners to help develop it as well. And those programs can be found throughout the 12 Washington state prisons. Not all of them have active programs now, but in general, at least one of these programs has been in each of the prisons for some point of time. But with COVID, some things are are kind of shut down right now.
0: What are some of the educational programs? You just touched on a few that you're involved with. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about them and what your favorites are and why.
3: Yeah, I'd love to. We have the gardening class, which is really cool. That's also a peer-led education program. That one, we just developed this pretty substantial manual for that has a variety of different modules or chapters that cover different topics. And it's meant so that it could be in a peer-led classroom, but it could also be self-study. So it's, it's supposed to be really flexible and just meant for anybody who wants more on gardening to take this and use it as they will. <laughs> so I love that program. Also love beekeeping. Beekeeping is cool because it relies on a partnership with a local beekeeping association. And so there's usually an expert beekeeper that comes in and teaches this beekeeping class and will help the facilities get hives and supplies and materials. And they get this beekeeping program. And it's pretty amazing how into it everybody is. Like facilities (laughs) just love the beekeeping hives and they just love all the updates and the pictures and beekeepers just love the work too. They tend to be just a really awesome type of person who just loves to give and to work with the population and the incarcerated individuals just adore working with animals of some type and mm-hmm. so this program is just awesome in just satisfying so many needs from everybody involved so I really love that program too
0: so backing up maybe just a little bit maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what exactly is peer led education.
3: Peer-led education is so cool. It's this model of teaching where students get to learn with and from each other. So often in prison, that can look like the facilitator being another incarcerated individual. And it can look a little different depending on the program, too. For example, in Roots of Success, they have established instructors, right? So incarcerated individuals who are just instructors of the class. And they're trained really well in facilitating this kind of peer led environment, but in classes like the gardening class, it might be a little more fluid depending on what the class needs. So you might have a different instructor every day if the class wants to take turns or maybe they just have an instructor and they're like nope we really like what you're doing let's stick with that but it's kind of up to the class on how they want to structure it which is so cool and i love that because it really gives them the chance to take their education and make it their right. own mm-hmm. and take responsibility for it and, and empower them right so we talked a little bit as far
0: as opportunities in the peer-led programs it's the gardening the compost roots of success are those, the main ones?
3: those are the main ones, but I have to say we're not the only people doing the peer-led education in prison. They're just really awesome and really flexible classes.
0: Are there any other benefits you'd like to highlight of the peer-led education?
3: I think what is huge for me is just I worked in the Washington Correction Center for three years in between my first time at SPP and coming back to SPP. I was the education manager at the Washington Correction Center, and it was seeing a lot of people working towards their GED and their high school diploma and just seeing how many people couldn't see themselves in like an education environment, right? That just wasn't for them. They maybe had failed when they were in high school or somebody told Mm -hmm. them they could never do it. Mm -hmm. This peer-led education model gives them a chance to see somebody who's in their shoes facilitating and and it just gives them a sense of like I do belong in education and I can do this and together we can do this and just so empowering
0: yeah I feel like I've been saying that word a lot in these interviews but I do I feel like so much of the work that you guys are doing it it really is it's inspiring and it's empowering and it's pretty cool (laughs) yeah
3: agreed agreed creating these safe spaces for people to talk about education or whatever the topic is in prison is awesome. So I love it.
1: Yeah. So today we're going to go into a little more detail about a few of the educational programs. And to start, let's talk about the gardening program and the Foundations in Gardening course. So can you tell us about gardens in prison?
3: There are gardens in basically all of the prisons, and it's really cool because they look different in every single prison, depending on geographically where they are and what can grow there, what the facility wants to grow, what the incarcerated individuals want to grow. So we have some really cool native plant gardens like the conservation nursery we have mm-hmm. some plants that have a lot of cultural significance to indigenous populations we have food growing gardens there are just flower gardens there also are these cool planter boxes that people can rent in some facilities and plant whatever they want i mean within reason right they probably have a, <laughs> yeah. a menu We're like, so are. i want to grow these <laughs> poppies. Yeah, no poppies no poppies allowed yeah. (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty cool because it kind of gives them a chance to really grow what they want and there's a huge lack of fresh fruits and vegetables in prisons and so that Mm -hmm. can give them a chance to make something that they've been wanting to eat so that's been pretty cool it looks a little bit different in every facility but some of them are so beautiful for example at Stafford Creek their gardens put college campuses to shame it looks so beautiful
1: How does the gardening program benefit the participants? We talked a little bit about that.
3: Firstly, students and technicians, they get those hands-on skills. They get to learn some of those soft skills like working with a team and communicating and having a schedule and and having to learn how to work a daily job. Mm -hmm. But one of my favorite parts about gardening is that it has some huge therapeutic benefits for not only the participants, but staff members And people just walking around, Mm -hmm. just walking through the facility and seeing all these beautiful plants has some stress relieving effects. Yeah. I've seen some studies that suggest working in a garden can reduce your stress levels, improve your cognitive performance, enhance positive moods in general, and reduce rumination. So it's pretty cool to see how nature can bring down the tension a little bit. And even just seeing nature has some benefits. For example, there's this nature imagery program. Most facilities have an IMU, right, or an intensive management unit. That's basically like solitary confinement Mm -hmm. where people who are having some kind of issue, thankfully they don't use it for punishment anymore, but maybe they're there for their own safety or something like that. And they basically are in a tiny cell for 23 hours a day with no interaction with anyone else. And it's just really harsh and really awful to a lot of people, to everybody basically involved in it. But they have this nature imagery program and that's basically you get an hour or so just sit in a room that has a TV that just plays pictures of nature and that's been shown to really reduce stress and just bring some positive effects to the individuals who are in there.
1: How much time do the participants spend in the program? So, if somebody is working in the gardens, like how many hours per day or week do they get to spend in the gardens? I
3: think it really depends on the facility and who is supervising them mm-hmm. a lot of people have gardening as their job like they get paid for it and that varies probably facility to facility. And then those who are in a program that maybe has a garden is really dependent on, again, the supervisor and who's there to supervise them using the tools and mm-hmm. checking out the tools and things <laughs> right. like that. Mm-hmm. So it
1: just kind of varies. Is there a minimum length of time that's needed to participate? Like a
0: minimum sentence?
3: In most of the gardens, it depends on your clearance, right? Because if you're dealing with some kind of tool, right. they might not give it to you if. Something has happened in the last couple months. Mm -hmm. And actually, we were finding that there was a lot of people who had life without parole sentences that weren't allowed to use gardens and grow. And so Stafford Mm. Creek actually started a lifer's garden. That's one of the most beautiful gardens there is. And so they really take that and put all their their heart and soul into it. It's a beautiful garden. But typically, there's not really a sentence that prevents people from using certain gardens. It just depends on if you're cleared to be in the area that the garden is in.
0: Changing gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about the Foundations of Gardening course. Maybe you could tell us what the goal of that course is.
3: We have a couple of goals for that class. I love that class. And the first goal we have for that class is just to empower the incarcerated individuals to educate themselves and each other with engaging college-level content. We just really want to empower people to feel some kind of ownership over their education. We also really want to promote and recognize students' academic, social, and professional skills, and we think that they get some of those developed throughout this curriculum, and we give them a certificate at the end that outlines them so they can have it written down if they want to update their resume or use it as they will. We also want to build and support positive relationships and partnerships, so making those connections to outside gardeners or other staff members in the facility and the incarcerated individuals. We just really love how this class kind of fosters all these awesome relationships. And we also like to support and improve gardening programs at all of the facilities. Mm -hmm. They all have amazing programs, and it feels like there could probably be a more consistent approach or some more education provided to make people feel even more confident in their
0: work more well-rounded basically
3: exactly we've heard time and time again that they just want more 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 education on gardening
0: how is the foundations of gardening course structured
3: it's a very academic class it has an introduction into these gardening concepts and principles And we cover 11 advanced topics, so we call them modules, Mm -hmm. but they basically are chapters, things like soil science and water management and different topics Mm -hmm. like that. It is a peer-led program, so we do ask for incarcerated individuals to facilitate or be a clerk or offer expertise as they pop up, and it's about 100 hours of content, wow. actually more than 100. Yeah, wow. it's quite a bit. But we say somewhere between 75 to 100 is what you need to get the certificate, but it could definitely be a little more wow. than that. <laughs> and the other piece that's important about this structure is that there's no electronic equipment needed. So We find that's mm. a huge barrier for programs right. in prison. Saying you need a computer can cut half of the prisons out of the equation. Right. So this is just a book. That's all you need. And it's supported by staff sponsors. So There's always some kind of DOC staff member or a contract badge member. Who is helping coordinate this and make it happen? So putting people on the list, figuring out a space to do Mm. it, and just really helping them put it together. And then the the one last piece I wanted to throw in about the structure was we'd love for there to be a hands-on practicum piece, but it's not a requirement for this class.
1: Mm.
3: We want this book to be used anywhere by anyone who wants it. So even those students who are stuck in the IMU who want to learn gardening, they could just take this book and get the credit for it without having a garden.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: That's, so that's cool kind of too yeah aiming
3: for.
0: so much flexibility in all
1: these programs yes. i'm really curious if we could go back a little bit to just the gardens themselves i know we talked a little bit about all sorts of things are grown in the gardens when they're growing the produce the fresh fruits and vegetables what happens to that produce and do the people get to eat it
3: it again varies from facility to facility In general, very little actually goes back to the incarcerated individuals. The majority of it often goes to some kind of food bank, local food bank or community who needs them. There are some facilities that if given enough time and communication and planning, they can try to incorporate them into the menu for the incarcerated individuals. I've also seen some of the produce used in staff dining as well. Mm -hmm. It's not very common, but it it does happen every now and then. There's not quite enough really to feed everyone Mm. and so I think they're kind of right now just donating most of it but we do have some meetings coming up in the next couple months to see if we can bring the people who make that decision together and see what do you need to get this food back to the incarcerated population.
0: As my somewhat probably naive understanding of prisons is the food I feel like is definitely something that leaves a lot to be desired and from what I've heard fresh healthy culturally appropriate food probably is not a thing that's happening very much and and so it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition to have these gardens there that are potentially growing produce and other things, but maybe they're still not getting the food to the people there that it seems like it would be beneficial for them. So,
3: agreed. It's really unfortunate, and we're working with the yeah. secretary of DOC to move that along, and hopefully we'll see that shift that would here be in the next very exciting. Of I think yes. With the
1: planter boxes, do they get to eat the food that they grow? I think so. That program is
3: at Walla Walla. I think it's still going on. It might have got paused due to COVID again.
0: All right. Next, let us be the ones to talk about another (laughs) educational program, the beekeeping program. I tend to think of prisons as large plots with a lot of buildings and concrete and other impervious surfaces. Where do the bees live and what do they feed on?
3: At least in Washington, I think your image of prison is not quite right, actually. Thankfully, it's very green. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. At least in Washington, I can't speak for prisons in other states, but in general, Washington prisons are full of green spaces. Some of it might just be plain grass fields, you know, with nothing really planted in it. Thankfully, it's not all concrete. That would just be. Well, some look like it, though. There's some facilities that look a little gray, but. They kind of grow whatever works best for them, but where do the bees live and what do they feed on? Usually they'll find wherever they think of a good place for the bees to live is they need to be near some source of water, be near some pollinator-friendly plants, Mm -hmm. and maybe away from gardens that are using pesticides. Right. Or maybe they decide no pesticides at all now that we have the bees, because it is a little bit of an investment to get those bees And they're typically in some kind of unused green space, but they'd want some form of shelter from things like the wind Mm. so that they don't get knocked over in the winter and they're Mm. easy to get to. Yeah. So they're kind of in different places at each facility. But for example, at the Washington Correction Center, it's right outside their maintenance building next to their chickens and their SPP garden area. And what do they eat? Well, they eat lots of honey, Right. right? And sugar. So we bring in several bags of 20 pounds of sugar and load them up for the winter. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We try to feed them all year long just to keep them happy. You can kind of monitor how much honey is in their hives, and that determines how well they're going to be able to get through the winter and how much sugar you have to feed them. Huh. Also, the variety of different pollinator-friendly plants that are around.
0: Well, and I guess if each of the prisons has a garden, then they each should have some pollinator-friendly plants, I would assume.
3: I think typically if they're planning on getting bees, they'll plan for that and Mm -hmm. say, okay, some gardens need more clover or whatever plant they want to add in there.
0: So what are the goals of the beekeeping program?
3: We have a couple goals. One is restoration and conservation of honeybees and native pollinators. As I'm sure you all know, the honeybee population isn't doing so well, and we rely on honeybees for a lot of our food. I think it's something like 90% of our global food supply is relying on honeybees. Yeah. And so without their help, we wouldn't have things like apples and carrots and onions and melons and almonds. All the food that we (laughs) want to eat. Yeah, and so we're hoping that by each facility having some hives that eventually they might be you know helping the beekeeping population but we also want to really provide education and certification for beekeepers we've been working with those outside beekeeping organizations to bring in beekeeping education so the washington beekeepers association has Okay, to curriculum for us to use and they recognize these beekeepers who get these certificates and so that's really awesome mm-hmm. those are our two main goals is just to provide these certificates and training and education and also help the beekeeping
0: population right. what do the day-to-day activities of the program look like or how are the technicians involved in the program
3: It usually starts off before you ever have bees that we find a local beekeeper to come teach a class, right? And maybe once we find a teacher and we find a class and it's getting rolling, we'll help with getting a hive and depending on what time of year it is, buying some bee packages and getting everything set up for them. And then they'll go through the course with this outside beekeeping instructor. And so that depends on how often the beekeeper is coming Mm -hmm. in. It can Mm -hmm. be once a week. It could be every day of the week. Just depends on what they're able to do because it is a volunteer position. And then after they graduate, either the beekeeper or some kind of staff sponsor goes with the incarcerated beekeepers to check in on the bees, usually about once a week. Peep in the the beekeeping hive and see, okay, can we find the queen? How's it looking? Any Mm -hmm. mites? Do they have enough food? How are things going? And then they try to get them ready for the winter, and then during the winter, you probably open it a little bit less because it gets cold in there.
0: Right. So is it just like one person who does that? Are there multiple people? Do they have a Like, What does it look like?
3: In Washington, we have certified 507 incarcerated beekeepers. At least at the Washington Correction Center, there are There's definitely been more than this many certified, but there are three incarcerated beekeepers who check up on the bees every week with one staff sponsor. So the staff sponsor makes sure that they get their beekeeping tools and that they're on the call out or the list to be where they're supposed to be and just kind of coordinate the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Washington Corrections Center for Women has a handful of beekeepers, probably more like five to eight beekeepers, and that's a little too many to all open up the hives. So while some of them are checking out the hives, the others will be delivering some sort of education content to other staff or incarcerated individuals as they're walking by asking, what are you guys doing out here? What's happening? <laughs> right. They just get to brag about the program and talk about what they're up to. So they kind of get that practice in presenting and delivering cool, education content yeah, to that's, people. Cool, yeah. Uh, oh. That's a creative way to do it. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they kind of switch off who gets to check each time, right? Because that's the fun part, checking in on the little fuzzy (laughs) bees. So how does the
0: beekeeping program benefit the larger community? Like, do you raise queens for the community or is it only for Department of Corrections operations?
3: It's absolutely a dream of some facilities and is a goal when they started up the beekeeping program to raise queens and give them out to the community or at really discounted prices. Mm -hmm. But I don't think any of the hives have been doing well enough over the years to actually have a successful queen rearing program just been harsh winters. Winter is a really devastating time for most beekeepers. And most places are lucky to have one or two hives survive the winter out of maybe five or six hives. They oh, usually wow. lose the majority of them. Uh, so almost all of them have some kind of loss over the winter, which is too bad. But hopefully eventually yeah. we can get there. I think they, they do have some goals on how we can contribute back to the community with it. We're always trying new things like getting insulated hives for the winter. And so this is our first year doing that. And we'll see if that has any more success. Right. It's kind of cool. We get to kind of experiment and see how right. we can get these guys to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, that
0: obviously could add to the overall community benefit because certainly right. anybody who's aware of what's going on, that's on the forefront of our minds for sure. What are we going to do about the bees? <gasps> Absolutely. We want to eat still. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what happens to the honey that's
3: produced? Again, it varies facility to facility. If the hives make enough honey to survive the winter and give off some honey, usually the beekeepers will hand it out to DOC staff. They have honey tasting workshops with the incarcerated individuals, which is cool. It gives them a chance to at least try the honey. Unfortunately, we can't give it to the incarcerated beekeepers at this point. Mm-hmm. I've seen some of it gets put on sale for internally in DOC so that it goes back to the incarcerated individuals programming fund so that they can buy more beekeeping supplies next year Hmm. and sustain other programs as well. And I've also just seen it given away to different visitors and guests at the facility. So if I went to go visit the Cedar Creek facility and tour their beekeeping program, they might offer me a little jar of honey and say, oh, thanks for (laughs) coming. And they put a cute little sticker on it with Cedar Uh Creek Corrections honey. And they all have their different labels on their honey. And they all have different logos like Washington State Penitentiary Beekeeping Club. And they have like just the coolest artwork. Who did the
0: logos <laughs> for them?
3: Usually, incarcerated That's so beekeepers cool. do them. Yeah. That's nice.
0: Oh, fun. How do the gardening program and the beekeeping program work together, or do they?
3: They actually don't have to work together, and I haven't seen it where one class is feeding another necessarily. But I do think a lot of gardening students end up wanting to take the beekeeping right. class. Yeah, similar interests. Right. They just kind of well, end up really, we need the bees bit.
0: to make the garden work. So, like.
3: Yeah. And maybe they work together in that the beekeeping students maybe talk to the gardening students and the gardening students plan their garden to have more pollinator friendly Mm -hmm. plants or something like that. But there's no real formal way that these two programs work together right now. But how cool would that be if if there was? Yeah. Yeah.
0: We just (laughs) Just plant the seed and watch it grow. (laughs) Ooh.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Hopefully it'll get pollinated. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. So you wrote your master's thesis on the impact of environmental education on formerly incarcerated people. Can you tell us a little bit more about your thesis and what you found in your research?
3: I looked at the lasting impacts of these environmental programs on formerly incarcerated individuals. So I was kind of curious, if you go through one of these SPP programs, what sticks with you? Does anything stick with you? Mm -hmm. Does anything stick out? Or is it just this thing you did and let's leave that behind me? Do you find yourself wanting to be more eco-friendly and, you know, you turn off the water when you brush your teeth or I really want to pursue environmental education now, Mm -hmm. or I want a job in environmentalism. I was just kind of curious on what does this do for you Uh as an environmentalist and as a person. Right. And so I found some really cool findings. I did find that in general, people were starting to make slight shifts to more environmental friendly behavior, recycling, especially things that maybe end up saving them some money. So like insulating Uh their houses and just practicing smart energy practices, right? Mm -hmm. Just making sure that they are trying to save as much money as they can. Like not wasting electricity,
0: turning off the water, like you're saying.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the really cool thing I found that I wasn't expecting, and maybe I should have, was how impactful working with living things in prison was. And most importantly, I saw a lot of shifts in empathy, which is like huh. oh, amazing. Right. Wow. Right? Yeah. So people who maybe wouldn't have thought twice about swatting a fly are like, oh, I wouldn't even consider swatting a fly now, right? Just like a new found appreciation for life and growth and other beings and just being so aware of other people and themselves and especially the butterfly program where you have to work with these tiny, tiny butterflies every day and you have to learn to be delicate and gentle, like just relearning how to be gentle and how to care about another being was just huge. And so that was one of the huge takeaways I found was just how impactful it was on how they view other people and beings.
1: And how do these experiences participating in programs like this help when the incarcerated individuals are released?
3: can definitely help with employment. They learn all of these awesome skills, and I think that can translate into the real world and working a little bit better. Especially some people have never had a full-time job, right? They've never had to do an eight-to-five job. <laughs> So kind of getting used to that and seeing what it takes and what it takes to be successful is huge. Also, I think they get some new education. Hopefully they have a new relationship with education in general. Yeah, hopefully it just kind of reshifts their mind to see that other doors are open for them. I think that was the big piece was just realizing I can do this. Mm. I'm worth saving and not just doing the same thing I was doing to come back here later on. So just realizing their self-worth, I think, is massive.
0: Do you have any funny, silly, or humorous stories from your involvement in the education program or in SPP in general?
3: The one that comes to mind is just this fire that we started in a prison with. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we had this awesome beekeeping conference. When we first started beekeeping, so back when I was still a coordinator, we put this huge event together. It was hosted at the Washington Corrections Center for Women, so up in Gig Harbor, And we had DOC people from, I think, every single prison, a bunch of different beekeepers from different associations, other volunteers and staff members, all gathering at the Washington Correction Center for Women and spending a day talking about beekeeping, which was amazing. I was a grad student. This is the first giant event I've ever helped put on. And we're all here. We're in there. And I had rented this gigantic projector. And I needed to... Turn it off, but it took so long to turn off. So I just covered the front, the oh. lens, with my notebook. Oh no! And I'm just like la la la, just sitting there, you know, oh. waiting for for my cue to take it off. And somebody's like, Emily, your notebook's on fire! Oh <laughs> like, like, what? It was just like right next to me, and I had no idea. Was oh just my smoking, gosh. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> isn't it? So thankfully, we got it. You know, there was no flames. Mm. It was just kind uh. of smoking, but.
0: <laughs> That's, that's a great story.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody got hurt, thankfully. Oh, good. That's good. And the event, yeah. yes. And the event got to continue as, as it
2: was going
3: <laughs> <laughs> Is it hot in here
0: or is it just a <laughs> beekeeping summit?
2: This place <laughs> smells
3: weird. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Just, you know, hopefully we'll have more peer-led education coming mm-hmm. soon. We have this composting curriculum we're developing now. And we're also looking at a couple other different modules and chapters we might be able to build in the future. So hopefully we'll see more of it. And hopefully we'll see it really take off here in the next couple months. Yeah. So we're excited about it.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Emily. We hope you have a great day.
3: Thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to chat with you.
0: So there you have it. The end of episode six, we
1: hope you have laughed and we have peer led you through Mm. (laughs) and that we have yet again inspired you to make it out alive. All of SPP's programs include education, but today we focused on those that SPP puts into their education bucket. It can be challenging to bring science education into prisons due to lack of classroom space, technology and internet, and getting approval for special materials for science labs. But SPP is still finding ways to make science education happen, because they're awesome. Basically. They've found that the peer-led education model is very effective in prison
0: settings, particularly during a pandemic. When they can't necessarily bring outside people in hmm
1: Though now that I think about it, the excuse for temporarily putting a halt to some of the programs was because of the pandemic, but could it really have been to keep Emily from starting fires? Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> gardening and beekeeping are two programs under SPP's broad education bucket, and I know firsthand the benefits of gardening, especially on mental health, so it's great to hear that all of the Washington prisons have gardens. There's even a special garden for lifers. That's so awesome. It's also encouraging that they have beekeeping programs because we need bees to pollinate most of our food. It was really eye-opening to hear about some of the struggles, especially with keeping the bees alive over winter. And hopefully some of the things that they're trying will lend itself to saving more hives in and out of prisons. Right? As Kelly mentioned, the highly popular workshop series has been suspended due to the COVID pandemic, and we're not quite sure when it will be starting up again. However, if you have an idea for a workshop or training, you can still pitch your ideas, and if they're interested in it, they can help guide you in developing educational modules. Mm. Yeah, we hope some of our listeners have been inspired by this episode to consider developing science education materials on topics near and
0: dear to their hearts. This is definitely one of the easier steps into a SPP program. Please join us for our next episode, which will be the seventh and final episode of season three. We'll be hearing just a tiny bit more from Emily Passarelli, and we'll speak with Grady Mitchell about the Roots of Success program, another prison education program. That episode will be coming your way in two weeks on Tuesday, August 30th. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please let us know what you think at outalivepodcast.com or facebook.com forward slash will we make it out alive. Until next time. Will we make, make it out, out alive? alive? This is Amy the Poop Detective buzzing off. mm
1: this is Jen, the Magical Mapper, just saying goodbye as usual. So boring. (laughs) Bye. Bye.